and welcome to The Future Report, a podcast hosted by social research company McCrindle for anyone curious about the future. My name is Ashley Fell, and each week I'll be sitting down with a guest to discuss a topic or trend that you need to know about. Today, we want to talk about a word or phrase rather that's made its way to the Oxford English Dictionary's word of the year back in 2020, which is cancel culture. Now, as social researchers, each week we are regularly deploying surveys and analyzing demographic and community data. We gather content from focus groups and in-depth interviews and we draw out the trends. That is effectively what social research is. And while analyzing these specific data sets gives us really specific insights and helpful insights about certain groups or areas, at the same time, analyzing lots of these different studies over a range of um, time and years actually gives us a pretty broad read on society. And one outcome from this type of work that we get to do is that we're often asked to share our insights and our perspective, not just from particular studies that we conduct, but even just our general perspective on society and trends and words of the year and where these things are going. And that's what is often labeled as social commentary. So in today's episode, we're sort of taking off our social research hat and we're putting on our social commentator hat to see what's going on in our broader society and where things are going with regards to cancel culture. And joining me to do just that is Mark McCrindle. So, hey, Mark, welcome back to the Future Report podcast. Thanks, Ash. Good to be with you. Understandably, Mark, in recent years, there has been a lot of talk about cancel culture and so much so that we've conducted a study on it and we're going to share a couple of those insights. But it's probably a very helpful thing to do first up is just to define what the concept is and what the phrase means before we sort of delve into it and its implications. So when I looked it up today, I came across this definition that cancel culture is a phrase used to refer to a form of ostracism in which someone is thrust out of social or professional circles, whether it be online, on social media, or in person. Those subjects to this ostracism are said to have been cancelled. Mark, do you think that's a fair definition of the cancel culture phrase? Yeah, that gets to it. Uh, there's, there's probably more layers beyond that. It's one of those things, cancel culture, that people are okay with it as long as the people being cancelled are people that disagree with their perspective or worldview. Uh, if they're people that are on the other side of the debate, uh, they're, they're a little more accepting than when people being cancelled are on their own side of the debate. And I think that's part of the problem of a culture of cancelling people is that we lose both sides of a debate. Democracies are at their best when we have a strong government and a strong opposition. Uh, the media landscape is at its best when we have quite different views or perspectives being shared. When there's press that uh, maybe leans one way politically, ideologically, and there's press that leans the other way because that makes a far healthier uh, and, and more diverse landscape and competition for ideas. And that's what's damaging about cancel culture. You know, thinking about the words there, there's the cancel side. And for some people, their experience of being cancelled is literally being cancelled from a social media platform where their account has been stopped. Uh, and and that is, is removing their voice because, of course, in a modern society, social media is how so much communication takes place. So it's a, a serious consequence if someone is cancelled, maybe for other people, they've been cancelled by having sponsorship removed or their position or role be brought to an end. So they've lost a job or something. That's how they have been 
cancelled. Um, maybe it's it's just more the the general term of of people being shunned, as you said, ostracised by the masses because of a particular stance they've taken. And really, that's the heart of what we're talking about here with cancel culture is that it's people being cancelled in whatever form that may be for them, not because of a criminal act. We would all understand and support that, not because there's been some incitement to violence and there are already rules and standards around that sort of thing or or because there's been some gross indecency. No one would argue about people being cancelled or removed from a platform for those reasons, but because they don't hold a mainstream idea or because they're expressing an idea that's against the, the, the popular trend or maybe because they're robustly debating their particular stance or uh, or perspective and we are the weaker if we just will cancel voices or deplatform voices that don't happen to align with ours uh, because one day it'll be our voices or our kin that will be cancelled if it shifts the other way and the other part of the word after the cancel is the culture and I think that's that's a key part here as well, that we're talking about a society or a culture that quickly reaches for the cancel button, the mm. mute button, that will quickly have the pile on and people are removed or the expectation that the funding, the sponsors, the, the um, organization that they are part of or maybe the platform will remove them and that culture where there's no longer the nuance, there's no longer the tolerance for those broader ideas. There's no longer the uh, ability to move beyond a sensitivity and and have a robust debate contest for ideas. Uh, then then we reach for that as a culture, that, that cancel button, and that's problematic for society. Yeah, it really is. And I guess there's it's really helpful definition, Mark, and even the different layers that you mentioned, because I think early on and and maybe a more simplistic understanding and maybe part of the reason why this sort of term got the coverage that it did is there were some kind of real celebrities or public figures being cancelled. And there's a few names that come to mind who kind of were cancelled early on. And I think a lot of people think about them, but it does translate to even like micro communities uh, online and even in our friendship groups. And I think we saw that come out in some of the research. And I guess there's there's implications for that even at a personal level. Like the, the challenge there is what you mentioned around surely healthy debate is a good thing. I remember we were talking about it actually within our office recently. Like we were talking about that those of us in the team who had done debating at school and just like what you learn. And I feel like in movies, it's kind of depicted as a pretty nerdy subject. I was one of the team who said, yeah, I, I did debating and I actually loved it. I feel like it taught me a lot about understanding different people's perspective, who you're arguing against, but it's in a safe place and it's using intellect, but it's rebutting and, and finding truth through evidence to pr- bring your point across. There's so many things around even empathy, I feel like I learned with that regard. But yeah, it's interesting to consider, like, do we lose that ability to do that? And what about, I guess, this the human side? Like, I think we all know that everyone is prone to making mistakes. And even on this podcast, like I've heard other podcast hosts going, oh, we've got to be so careful and think so strategically about what we say because we don't want to be cancelled. Like, it's, it's almost like it's kind of evokes a little bit of fear. And I will admit to that too, in terms of you know, you don't want to put your opinion out there because if it is contrary to the mainstream mm. and are we holding, holding people up to these impossibly high standards? I mean, there's some high stakes kind of here with just not just this buzzword, but actually what it means for our behavior as well. Well, that's right. And that's where 
the culture of the pylon or the silencing or the shunning, the ostracization does create anxiety for people and does create a self-conformity and a self-censoring so mm. that they don't become those outliers. That's the problem uh, where we just don't express those ideas. And we know in research, uh, the best research is when you get that data back and you've got a variety of opinions. Those outliers or those that are, when it's the you know, you've got 10 or 15% that are taking this view and 10 or 15 this view, and then ten, tends to be the majority, you know, spread across the, the middle options. That's actually helpful to analyze. You can filter by demographic or region or gender or generation and get the nuance, understand the community. But if we got results back and everyone had exactly the same opinion, I'd be worried. And, uh, and that's not a true community because we know our communities are diverse in experience and age and, and background and culture and worldview and 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 that's what a community is it's it's the from the latin the the the, the com the coming together the the gathering together from those points of difference we want to be inclusive societies but inclusive to what inclusive to a democracy and to uh, a, a, an ability an openness where difference can be shared and expressed where those perspectives can can come together in a in a way that's that's warm and that's empathetic and that's understanding of the difference, but nonetheless, a community where we value those differences of experiences, beliefs, and perspectives. And without that, we don't have these diverse communities and we don't have inclusion to anything other than some authoritarian perspective. So, so we do lose something if, if, we, um, if we don't have these different views and if we are fearful of the outcomes and if we don't have that grace to actually accept that we will all make mistakes, uh, mm -hmm. that we will all misspeak and uh, perhaps say something less eloqu eloquently or elegantly than we would like. And if we're so black and white in everything, if there's no ability to roll with uh, a, a, an expression or, or a phrase, again, we're not talking about hate speech here. We're not talking about people that are defaming others. There's already, again, protections for that. But we're talking about someone who maybe expresses something awkwardly or, or perhaps steps out of the mainstream and questions uh, an ideology that everyone has accepted, um, then mm. what we end up with is virtue signaling, where everyone toes the line, says the words, um, and conforms to the accepted zeitgeist, sort of checks out which way is the wind blowing, I'll go with that. And uh, and that's not an authentic society. And it doesn't breed authentic people. It, uh, it, it also uh, breeds actually hypocrisy because we will all make mistakes, no question about that. Um, and yet we'll sort of blame someone else for their misspeaking and, uh, and, and we'll sort of preen ourselves and think, you know, we, we do no wrong. So, so I think there's some of the dark sides of a cancel culture and, uh, and really it, it, it leads to anti-community uh, rather than the inclusion and the connection and the diversity that ultimately, you know, we all want. Yeah, and I think it's two things I was thinking about in your answer there. It's we want people, and this is, I imagine, true for parents when they're thinking about their children. It's true for leaders who are recruiting prospective employees or thinking about workplace dynamics or different forms of community and where we meet with other people and have to debate ideas or ways of doing things. You want to have empathy and understanding to understand the difference, but you also want people to be able to, I guess, feel empowered to stand up for what they believe in, and I feel like that's what maybe we're starting to 
see even in the research we conducted, people go, no, I, I, I won't say something because it's not in the majority. And I mean, maybe this is too niche, but I think about that in the way of even, you know, in a business context, like we talk about innovation and the ability to fail and that's a key ingredient when you're trying to think outside the box or think of something new. We, we researched that a lot and wrote about that in the Work Wellbeing book, you know, the need to not be too scared. And that's where, I guess, in environments, in workplaces, it's about psychological safety and trust where you go, I'm going to put something out. It's not fully formed, um, you know, but I guess I wonder even for the next generation, even of employees, if they're growing up and being shaped in this culture, whether that does have impacts even on them with regards to the the business landscape. But I mean, I've referenced this study that we conducted and it's just yielded some really fascinating insights around cancel culture and people's perspective on it. Some of the headlines that kind of stood out to me, and I'd love to hear your own reflections, Mark, on what stood out to you is firstly, that 68% of Australians disagree with cancel culture. So that's quite an interesting kind of majority, thinking maybe it's doing a bit more harm than good there. Secondly, this is an overwhelmingly high proportion, 91% agree that it is important for a tolerant society and healthy democracy that people share their beliefs and opinions on political, spiritual or social issues. So some of those may be contentious, different perspectives we hold. Um, the things that maybe, you know, the what's the colloquial saying? Like the things you don't bring up at a dinner party. You know, these are the things that create a great dinner party, some would argue. And thirdly, interestingly, I guess in maybe interesting in light of that other stat about um, what makes for healthy debate and discussion and tolerance is that more than half of Australians say they have hidden their perspective on topical issues because they're afraid of how people will respond. Um, And so, yeah, there's there's some challenges there. Even I know from the research as well around, I guess, where we're going to get some of these broad insights. I mean, yeah, Mark, there were so many things. What stood out to you from this study? It's a hard question if there's any well, key they're, stats. They're, they're three key stats and they do tell quite a story, a, a clear narrative of where Australians are at and that is that they don't like cancelling people uh, and they think it's important to share those different beliefs and ideas and to have difference in those ideas in our society and in our discussions and politics and media. Uh, but uh, at the same time, they say that uh, that they're a bit uh, coy about sharing their own perspectives when it differs to those around us. So we perhaps are lacking a little bit of the, the, the courage of, of our ideas and the conviction to speak them forward, probably because we just don't want the grief of having the argument or the pile on or the pushback. Uh, so that's an interesting place because you know, we think of Australians as being forthright and the land of the fair go and anyone can have a voice and a say and mateship dominates, strong community mindedness, the welcome mat for everyone. And yet we are now starting to uh, think about our ideas and not wanting to stir the pot uh, too much with others if we sense that they might have a different perspective. So that third point particularly is not a is not a healthy direction in which our, our democracy and our discussion, our community um, interactions are headed. And perhaps it's just that there's an oversensitivity to how the sharing of the ideas will be perceived. Um, and maybe it's, it's just that um, out of a warmth we don't want to offend and we don't want to stir people up but if we uh, do remain silent on these things uh, you know we do start to lose that debate and, and people start to um, start to all align uh, we end up with we lose that larrikin spirit we lose that ability to push back on the authority or the mainstream and you know Australians really have been built on that ability to question things to innovate to adapt to respond to change uh, not just to conform. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think another interesting element of the report that we looked at was where people are going to get these, you know, different perspectives on a whole range of different issues around society and beliefs and, yeah, political, spiritual or social issues. And we found that 76% agree that reading or hearing opinions different to one's own is important to build a better understanding and connection in our diverse community. So we've got kind of the majority of Australians going, yeah, it's, it's important to read diverse perspectives and and understand people's differing, you know, opinions and views to your own. But then there's a little bit of a disconnect there when we look at sort of where people are going or how they do that. So 76% agree it's important, but 44 so just 44% strongly or somewhat agree that they actively seek out or read different news sites to their own. And we were just talking offline before and we were saying, I think you pointed out, Mark, the majority aren't kind of doing that even though we recognize it's important. And again, I mean, we spent a lot of time looking at the impact and we're going to, that's kind of the next area we're going to talk about, but the impact on the next generation. And even for me, you know, watching different documentaries like The Social Dilemma and seeing it in my own community, even my own social media behavior, like I probably wasn't aware until a documentary pointed it out to me that an algorithm is feeding me more of the same things that I like. And that can be innocent when it's, yeah, cooking hacks on TikTok or whatever it might be. But if it's political views or those sorts of things, it's, we can just so quickly become in kind of or move into an area where we're just being fed the, the same perspective. And I think The Social Dilemma, which is a documentary on Netflix, really showcases that well. But I mean, any reflections there, Mark, on, on where we're going to get sort of these unique different perspectives? Well, I was encouraged that two in five are actively seeking out those different opinions. They'll read mm. one side of the political ideology in the newspapers or sites, they'll go to other sites and maybe they, with their friendship group or their feed on the social media, uh, are again um, seeking out those different views. And maybe that comes through having different platforms and different subscriptions and uh, mm -hmm. and going a bit broader and, and maybe having diverse friends too and having those discussions. But I'm encouraged by those two in five, but the three in five who aren't actively seeking that out, I think that's, that's ultimately problematic. You know, the enlightenment of the 17th and into the 18th century came through the, the questioning of ideas and the pushing mm. back on accepted orthodoxies and questioning authority structures at the time and having good old debates and, um, and reflecting on science but appreciating arts and having a place, of course, for religious views and faith as well. And, and, and that's, they're the right ingredients. But if we all conform, uh, we, we end up with, with a problem. In fact, um, it was uh, Enlightenment thinker, the, the French writer Voltaire, who famously said, I disagree with what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. Now, that's perfect Enlightenment thinking. We need more of that. The ability to disagree, but the firm conviction that we will allow the space for people to say it. And we we know in our research, you know, people often will share with that in, with us in in the studies that they want more conviction politicians, people who, who who will stand up there and actually stand for something, and and not just blow with the wind, and indeed will hold firm on their positions so we can vote for them and know where they stand. Uh, but we decry the lack of conviction politicians, but there's not enough of a conviction population, and uh, and that's what maybe the broader gleaning of input will help us with as a society. Yeah, it's it seems that 
quote you shared from Voltaire is a pretty stark contrast in some ways to what we're seeing in society today and what we're seeing come out in some of this research. Uh, it just seems worlds away in some regards because it mm. does seem like when you, when somebody, when uh, particularly someone who's got a platform or a following um, or a presence in the media says something contrary yeah, to the mainstream, it is that cancel culture that's happening. And yeah, I think it does come from and we asked this of Steph Razy on a previous podcast because she's a Gen Z and we were talking about Gen Z and cancel culture and she said, you know, it probably is has got good um, and good intention, good intentions and good origins around we want to uphold organisations and leaders and celebrities and public figures to a high standard. But I guess here we're talking about well, what happens when maybe not standard, but even there's just a difference of of opinion or there is a minority perspective and and how that is actually acknowledged or dealt with. And another area that we talked about even and, and looked at in this report, which is really interesting, is kind of acceptance and tolerance. And again, it does point to even for us thinking about the emerging generations who are being shaped in this kind of era and whether they are kind of being taught to silence those who don't agree with them, which is, as we've kind of mentioned already, not maybe not so healthy. And as we think about um, Gen Z, there was a really interesting part of this study that we kind of looked into. I mean, we always do this. We always ask a question and then filter it by generation to see if there's any nuance or differences there. And it was actually our Gen Zs, our sort of teenagers and and those in their early 20s, our young youngsters of today, our students, who said they're actually more likely than other generations to self-censor their views because of a fear of being cancelled, which I feel like makes sense because they're probably the generation who's been, um, I guess, exposed to people being cancelled on a global kind of digital um, brand or so not brand, but rather sort of platform or space. Yet on the other hand, this is the generation, yeah, being taught, I feel like, to hold high standards um, of brands and organisations who are willing to call them out in online worlds where their perspective or someone wanting to cancel someone is just amplified like nothing we've ever really seen before. So, I mean, how do you see this trend having an impact on that psyche of, of this whole generation kind of being shaped in a culture of cancel culture? Well, they're on the front lines of it on social media. They're seeing it all the time, people being cancelled or people being shunned or the comments really um, causing uh, a lot of harassment of people if they step out of line or, or again, say something that's you know not within the mainstream, which is now called controversial. And, and, and I think that's part of the problem. And then the education system they go through does not uh, encourage the robustness of debate that used to be the case. I mean, universities have always been the mm. place for free thinking and strong debate and different ideas and 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 really being able to articulate and stand behind those ideas um, or change position. But uh, but we seem to have lost that a little bit with the new sensitivities and and maybe um, as you said from the best of intentions of wanting to be inclusive and and um, mm. and and cautious uh, we have we have lost something of the ability to discuss ideas and that came out in the study as well when we looked at this definition of what is acceptance what is tolerance in a modern society and firstly I was encouraged to see that ninety three percent of Australians say they actively. Uh, look to accept people like that's a focus that they have they and and the point here is even when their views differ to their own they're they're all about accepting people um we still had seven percent that say oh, i find it difficult to accept the person if i don't ex accept their 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 ideas um but but i guess the the worrying uh point with this was that um, just 38% said 
acceptance is about accepting the individual without necessarily accepting their practice, worldview, or ideology. In other words, the majority of Australians said true acceptance, true tolerance requires us not just to accept the person as a human and and their rights and freedoms and and opportunities to live, believe, or practice as they wish, but we're not truly accepting. We're not truly tolerant until we accept the idea, the practice, or the worldview. So we've had this creeping definition of tolerance that it's not just about tolerating or accepting the person. You're not a truly accepting um, living and accepting approach to, to others unless you also become an ally, uh, get on board, promote, celebrate, or advocate for that idea, worldview, or perspective. That's that's where we've ended up. Now, that's a different definition to acceptance. I mean, the Voltaire definition, you know, I don't agree with you, but hey, I'm, I'm with you uh, as, as a fellow human to defend your rights and your freedoms. I'm standing with you as a, as a fellow human and, and with, with your rights and defending those rights, even though I disagree. But now we're saying, no, Voltaire, you didn't go far enough. You're not truly accepting unless you join them in the march uh, or uh, accept and celebrate that behavior or practice or really stand with them as an ally fully backing that idea. That's where we've got to today. And that's probably why this generation are doing more of the self-censoring are feeling more of the sensitivities because they are growing up in a time where acceptance or tolerance has a higher definition now beyond just the human connection, the value of the individual. And now it means you've got a value hold equal, not just the person, but the idea, the behavior, the practice, the perspective, the lifestyle. That's that's a whole new level. We've never had that before. And I don't think an enlightenment can come out of that. Uh, we wouldn't have had the 17th or 18th century enlightenment if if, if um, there was acceptance required, um, a collapsing or a, a, an aligning on every idea, ideology and perspective. Yeah, wow. It's yeah, I'm thinking through it in my in my head just around what the implications are, yeah, f- around that healthy debate. And it's it's pretty challenging, I think, in some ways to hear that that's where society is moving and, and how we do continue to appreciate people who are different to us and value their ideas and have healthy debate um, around acceptance. Yeah, it's, it's challenging. And I guess I think about as well, like where it's going, what's what's going to happen next. And I mean, we often talk about Generation Alpha and, and we're talking about Gen Z now, but I do wonder how it will turn out for them or we we have this saying every generation is a reaction to the one that went before so as generation z grapple with this as they come of age how will that impact the future and i always love hearing your perspective on this mark because i guess it does even in this broader context seem like society is becoming more polarized and i guess on the one hand i think it's it's great that people feel empowered to stand up for what they believe in. But on the other hand, I guess I wonder about the negative implications of this uh, around debate and people, yeah, some people feeling really empowered if you're within the majority, but if you're not, you feel silenced to being because of you're too scared of being cancelled. And I feel like, yeah, that's it's always taken bravery to stand up to, like even before cancel culture was a, was a term that we knew about. I feel like we always want to teach our kids, you know, and I, I was taught that to stand up for what you believe in and and develop your argument and share it. But now it's like we're losing that nuance because we're too scared of being cancelled. And I can even, as much as I like to think I'm a strong person, you know, I can understand that that fear of putting an, a contrary idea out into the public space for fear of being cancelled. But I'd love to hear your thought, Mark, on on where this is going. How do we anticipate sort of what might come next or what might come 
out of this in terms of a reaction to this cancel culture sort of culture we're seeing mm. permeate? Well, firstly, I do put a bit of trust in the timeless human realities and drivers. And as we reflect as individuals, we all recognize that we can aspire to any virtue, but we can all collapse to any vice. And that acceptance of the reality of who we are uh, does, I think, act as an antidote to uh, self-righteousness and uh, and makes us aware of our own hypocrisy and therefore hopefully showing a bit of kindness, compassion and grace to others if they don't get everything right or maybe express a view that we disagree with in a in a in a less elegant way. Uh, I think that I think that ultimately uh, we do give people the benefit of the doubt, recognizing that we appreciate when the benefit of the doubt is given to us. Mm. We do show people a little bit of um, uh, maybe grace because we know we've needed forgiveness and patience and kindness from others when we've slipped up. Uh, so I do put a bit of a bit of um, weight in that. And I think ultimately, while people do at times get on the high horse about their issue and, and pretty much cut down everyone else as having no virtue who disagrees, we all recognize our own propensity to actually fall short of our own standards. And I think that'll, um, that, that'll all help uh, level things a little. But the other uh, factor that gives me some sense of optimism is that I've consistently seen history, even in my own period of study, as not so much a linear pathway, but a pendulum, that things do head one way and then they self-correct back to the other, uh, that things will maybe overreach and then there'll be a collapsing of that idea on itself and so moderation back to what is uh, more normal. Uh, mm. That's that's how things tend to to flow. And, and we are in a period where there is this uh, new orthodoxy and there is this uh, less... Uh, tolerance for different ideas. The outliers are being cancelled. But but I think the foolishness of that will come to be obvious, the collapsing of one one way of, of, of thinking. Uh, you know, it can't be sustained. Uh, you know, debates work when we have pushback and, and the pendulum will start to swing back where we can have a bit more of a robust debate, where there's less sensitivities, where we can separate the care and respect of the human and their rights and freedoms from the discussion, the debate, the policy, or the the social trend. I, I think that will inevitably come, and we will have to realise that we can discuss ideas uh, that are of an intellectual or political nature without thinking that that is going to harm an individual. Because until we can debate uh, a policy. Uh, and see different perspectives. We're not going to have wisdom in the equation. So, so I think that we will come to recognise that, and we have been through a particularly, I guess, puritanical era where where we've all tried to align. And I guess coming through a pandemic of um, you know, not wanting uh, too many different voices other than the medical and the scientific ones dominating, we've we've sort of had reason to align. And authoritarianism and. Uh, in, in a lot of ways, compliance has has been the norm and and it's got us through some of the the dark days of recent times. but but then the pendulum swings back and people push back on that authority. They question uh, the policy. they they start to express themselves a bit more freely and um, and different voices emerge. I was at the um, Questacon National Science Center uh, a week ago with with the kids and um, 
and they've got a cool pendulum I'm sure we've all seen online where you've got the the different pendulums a whole 10 12 of them all with slightly different length strings and as you swing them uh, the patterns are pretty cool they all swing at slightly different oscillation and uh, and so you end up with these different patterns but there's great symmetry with that uh, and it makes a snake wave and and, and then it suddenly splits and, and they're, they're, they're moving to different patterns and then suddenly it's all chaotic and every string is swinging on its own and then suddenly after a little bit of time it comes back into uniformity and I think history is a little bit like that and and so maybe there's been this high compliance period and then we'll have the different voices and more of the modulation as it seems chaos and chaotic uh, but then suddenly we, we get back into a bit of alignment again everyone every string if you like different in its length and journey and pendulum but but swings back as we recognize actually you know we, we, we we've gone a bit too far we, we need some common sense here we need to get back to to uh, to these timeless ways and there's a bit more in sync before maybe there's a little bit more chaos and and, and differentiation and then there's alignment again and, and and that for me was a little personal metaphor of where I see things going so I am optimistic that the pendulum will swing back the um, the different voices will emerge uh, there'll be hopefully some some symmetry in that over time but um, but we, we won't um, just end up uh, all conforming to one particular perspective and we'll appreciate difference debate perspectives people's different journey and uh, and we'll understand the difference of that appreciate that but all the time respecting the individual and their own rights. Yeah, I really appreciate that answer, Mark. And I, I remember you telling me that the other day as we were discussing the episode plan and I just think it was, um, yeah, really profound idea. And I think I take a little bit of comfort from that as well, that it's not just this linear kind of next step. We're just going to keep going in this direction. But yeah, history has shown us it is a pendulum swing. And as you were giving that answer, I was also thinking about when I was at school, I think it was in high school and studying in English kind of dystopic fiction where they explore a concept in society that's kind of taken to its, I think they call it like logical conclusion if it just keeps going in this direction. And it was, I think we studied Blade Runner, the film. Mm. We also studied, which has kind of had a resurgence in the last few years, the Handmaid's Tale. Mm. Um, and yeah, they were pretty dire, dark sort of ways, but I guess they exist as well to, to challenge us and to make us think about the direction we're heading and, and what voices we need to consider in different perspectives. So yeah, a bit of a, a deeper dive today, but a really, really good topic. So thank you so much, Mark, for your wisdom on it. It's always a pleasure to have you back on the podcast. Important issues to discuss and it was great to have the chat with you. Thanks, Ash. Yeah, absolutely. And if people would like to stay up to date with our latest insights, including different reports on cancel culture and other societal events, uh, you can subscribe to the podcast, follow us on social media, or head to mccrindle.com where we house a lot of the sort of in more in-depth uh, research reports and findings and infographics on these topics. So as always, thank you for listening and bye for now. <laughs>